so today we continue this series that I, I'm really excited about. I, as I said at the very beginning of this uh, five-part series, that this gets to the essence, I think, this parable of what it means to, uh, to be in relationship with God, to be a, a Christian. And so uh, I think every one of these messages are really important, and I, I am really praying that somehow I can uh, communicate what I think this parable communicates. You know, a lot of you are reading Henry Nouwen's book um, that we recommended at the beginning of the series. If you haven't uh, bought it yet and you haven't read it yet, you can do that still. And I want to encourage you to do that. You are all very smart people. You could catch up really quickly uh, in the book. It is an amazing book. And many of you have have commented just how much it has meant to you. So I encourage you to do that. And this parable, I think, is amazing because we find ourselves in the parable. Um, and I've had many conversations with people over this last couple of weeks where they have said, I don't know if I'm the older son or the younger son. Or... And so I just want to say, keep struggling, trying to figure it out. God's speaking to you. So let's pray and then I'll, I'll jump right in. God, we do pray that you would um, speak clearly to us today, that you would take the meditations of my heart and uh, this, your word to us, and speak to us just the word that we need to hear. May our ears and our hearts and our minds be open to maybe new things that you have to teach us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, today I, I want to encourage you to just uh, maybe not read the scripture in the bulletin, but just close your eyes and imagine the story. It's a great story. I think sometimes we don't use our imagination enough in um, our, our walk with God. So just uh, listen to the story and try to picture it as you hear these words. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out. And go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son was of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, a Sunday school teacher was teaching his first grade class on this parable. And he said to the class, you know, there's one character for whom the return of the younger son does not bring joy and celebration, but rather envy and anger, resentment, disappointment, and pain. Deep, deep, you know, almost indescribable pain. Does anyone know which character this is? A little boy just shot up his arm. The fattened calf? (laughs) We're not going to look at the fattened calf today. We are going to look at the older son. And the older son is a very important character in this parable. Very important. And as I studied and thought about this character over the years, I have come to the conclusion that this picture we see of the older son out in the field, refusing to enter into the joy of the party, I think it's just one of the the saddest scenes in the entire Bible. And there are a lot of (laughs) sad tragic scenes in the Bible. But this one, to me, is maybe the most saddest. Especially when you juxtapose it with uh, the return of the younger son. And that may be the most beautiful picture in the entire Bible. But this one is so sad. Did, Did you picture it in your mind as I read it? The younger son has returned to the father, and the father is just overwhelmed with joy. 
by seeing his lost son come home. Man, this good father who's been waiting, really scouring the horizon, looking for his lost son. So he, he comes home, and what does he do? Surprisingly, he throws a huge party. I mean, this is a good party, folks. Chances are the whole village is there. The band is playing, and it's the best band in the whole village. There is an abundance of dancing and laughing. The aroma of that poor barbecued fattened calf fills the air. Silver Oak Cabernet is being just poured out like it's water. It's a joyous celebration. Probably the best party this father has ever thrown. And there's the older son. Out working in the fields, he's a good worker. And he comes near the house and he hears all the commotion in the party. And he finds out from one of his servants that what was going on, what the commotion is about, that his brother has returned home. And surprisingly, I think, instead of rejoicing that his, his brother is home, he becomes angry. He's mad. And he refuses to, to join the party. Isn't that a sad scene? There he is within earshot of all the sounds and smells of a great party, and he stands arms folded. This is how you picture him. Arms folded. Angry. And this is what I picture all alone. That's what I think speaks to me most about this. He's all alone. The isolation, the loneliness, this is what strikes me the most. Very sad picture. Wouldn't you agree? So close, physically at least, to joy and celebration and really freedom. And yet there he stands all alone, refusing to join the party. Now his dad, sensing that his son is absent, his elder son is absent, he goes searching for him and finds him in his loneliness. And he entreats him. He invites him, come, come and, and join the party. Now the heart of the son, this may be the most, one of the most important lines in the whole parable, the heart of the son is revealed in his words to his father. Did you catch them? Look, all these years, I've been slaving for you. There's a key word. <laughs> slaving. And yet you ne and never have disobeyed you. I've been a good boy. Self-righteousness. And pride. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends hurt and resentment. But when this son of yours, I always love it, not, not, your, not my brother, <laughs> but this son of yours comes home, what do you do? You, you get the fattened calf, which is 
really rare. And you kill it and you have a great party. Wow. Jealousy. Judgmentalism. Moral superiority. Isolation. Don't you think it's a sad picture? <laughs> I, I find it uh, interesting too. He says, you know, who has squandered your wealth away with prostitutes. You know, nowhere in the parable is it mentioned that, that he was with prostitutes. I think maybe secretly that's what he wanted to do. <laughs> little projection maybe. So sad. Have you ever known anyone like the elder son? Have you ever been the elder son? Experience these feelings of resentment and maybe jealousy and self-righteousness, moral superiority. I suspect that most of us here this morning, if we're honest with ourselves, have at one time or another in our lives felt like this older son. I know I have. I very much was, I know the heart of this elder son. Perhaps for me this picture is so sad because I know firsthand, you know, the sadness, the isolation, the loneliness, the icky feelings, (laughs) the lostness. He's lost of this older son. And my guess is that most of us have. Because you know what? I hate to say this, and I say it gently, (laughs) but the church is kind of full of elder brothers. Because most of us, you know, we're not, the people that end up at churches today are not the younger son. It's mostly those people who are respectable, good citizens, who have, who have worked hard and kept their noses clean. And that, that's the people who fill the churches. And I often wonder, why is that, you know? Maybe the true message of the gospel is, is not being preached. Or maybe, I, I'm not sure what. Maybe we've grown up in the church, I don't know. But these feelings, the thing that the young son is, or the eldest son is feeling, they're one of the most common hazards of, of being part of a church, of being raised in a church. We tend to attract these elder sons, and Jesus knows this. Remember the two groups of people that he's preaching to. I said at the very beginning, this is so important, because he's preaching to two different groups, right? You have... The lost people, as we know them, the elder, the younger sons, the spiritual zeros, the moral, uh, immoral people that have rejected the moral conformity of the age and have gone their own way. We know these younger sons. I mean, that lostness is so easy to identify, isn't it? We know those people. They're the people in rehab and, you know, all this other stuff that we often think of. The drug addicts. They're lost. And then we have, what, 
So those are the spiritual zeros, the outcasts, the, the outsiders. And then you have the religious insiders, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, those good people who have devoted their whole lives to keeping the law and to be moral. They're the religious insiders. Wow, it's interesting that the people, you know, those outsiders, they've responded so much to Jesus' message. They're gathering around to hear his message of grace and forgiveness and new life. Oh, to them, this idea that God loves them. Remember, they're being told, you are outside. You know, there's a circle, and you're outside the circle of God's love. That's what they've heard their whole lives. And yet these people on the inside, they're, they're being told, you are so loved because you are doing everything right. And this, it's the second group of people that Jesus is directing this parable to. Isn't that interesting? And they are mad. At the end of this parable, they're ticked off. <laughs> they don't like this message. They're having problems. Remember, the problems they're having with Jesus is that he's loving and accepting these spiritual zeros, these irreligious outcasts. And so, as Jesus tells the second part of the parable, the part about the elder son, he is boldly holding up a mirror to these religious people, the insiders. And I think if Jesus came today, he may be speaking to people in churches who think that they have this inside track of God because they're so good. That's why we don't hear too many stories Sermons on the elder son, do we? Raise your hand if you have ever heard a whole sermon devoted to the elder son. Two people. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And yet this is who Jesus is preaching to. These older sons. It's a little salty. Shaking things up. And he tells us this parable. He tells the people the time, and he tells us because he knows how easy it is to become the elder son. He knows how easy it is to, to fall into this trap of spiritual pride and self-righteousness and thinking that, that the Christian life, the religious life, being right with God depends on our actions and what we do and how good we are. And how moral we are. I mean, remember, these people are doing everything. They're tithing. They're praying. They're going to the temple. They're giving money to the poor. They're doing all the right stuff. And yet Jesus is saying, you're missing the whole point. See how tricky this kind of lostness is? You're doing all the right stuff. And your heart is like, this elder son, you're far away and you're all alone. Instead of being at home with the, with the father. And Jesus tells these Pharisees and he's telling us this story because more than anything else, Jesus is telling this out of love. He's telling these people this so that 
they will join the party and know firsthand the deep joy of living at home in the embrace of the Father. That's being home. In knowing your love. So the question I want to ask this morning is, why is it so easy for us to, to become the elder son? Let me throw out a couple of reasons why. I think it's easy for us who have, have been in the church for a long time, maybe even have grown in a, up in the church, um, to be in a sense home and yet all alone. And I think it's be, because it's very easy to think that our salvation, our rightness with God is up to us. That somehow we earn it. We, we quickly forget sometimes that we were once in the far country. Even people who are like the first group, the very lost people, you know, they come into the church and, and very easily they forget, I was once out in the lost country. I was far, far away. I was lost. And so... As human beings, we have a tendency to forget things really quickly, and we have this thing within us that makes us forget that, that we were once lost and to lose gratitude for what God has done for us. And we can be the prodigal son, totally hopeless and lost, way out in the distant country, come home and quickly, you know, almost without effort, become the elder son. <laughs> and become proud and think it's about us instead of grace. You know that this idea that this parable introduces to us is probably the main topic in the New Testament after the Gospels. In the letters, you know, the early church, they're, they're struggling with this notion of grace. It can't be that simple, right? We gotta work hard. And especially the, the Jews who are coming out of Judaism and this religion of the time that Jesus is addressing, they think, oh no, we got to still keep the, the dietary laws, we got to sacrifice, we got to be moral, we got to do all these things. It can't be free. It can't just be accepting it by faith. That can't be. In fact, there's a book in, in, in the New Testament called um, Galatians where Paul addresses this. And he says, you foolish Galatians. See, there's this group called the Judaizers who are going to Galatia, the church in Galatia, and they're saying, you know, don't believe this gospel of grace. You got to still keep the laws. You still got to keep the dietary laws. You still got to do all these things. It's, it's not free. And Paul writes, he goes, you foolish Galatians. You know, you, you got off, you started so well. You heard this story of grace, this idea of grace that it's by grace that, that we come to know God, not by what we do, not by our works, not by our goodness, but what God does for us. And then you've gotten off track. And now you're thinking it's about works and about being a good person and about obeying the law again. Don't be tricked. It's about grace. It's not about what you do. 
It's about what has been done for you. Some of you may have been in the church your whole lives and have never heard this. Can I say it's, I think, the biggest heresy in the church throughout the ages is that somehow it's about us and our goodness and that we earn through, uh, through our goodness and through our good works and through all the things that we do, we earn God's love. See, this is what Jesus is addressing here and this is what the New Testament, most of Paul's letters, it's about this very thing, works, works righteousness versus grace. You know, I, I think most of us have this kind of bookkeeping mentality. Kind of, I, I said it last week, kind of this quid pro quo. You know, I do this and this and this and God loves me. It's like this big score, scoreboard in the sky, you know. And if I do all these things, God's going to love me and God's going to be good to me. And you know why that is so dangerous? Because then something happens in our life, and maybe you've experienced this, I have, and we think, God, why did you let this happen? I have been so good. (laughs) I've done everything you've told me to do. I've been slaving away for you and keeping my nose clean. You know, you're not holding up your end of the bargain. It's a bookkeeping, kind of scorekeeping mentality. And can I just say that, you know what? In the kingdom of God, there is no scorekeeping. (laughs) There's no ledger book. You know, I think, honestly, after 40 years of ministry, I've met so many people that believe that this is what the Christian life is about. You know, it's about doing more good than bad, and you want to make sure you die when you're doing more good instead of being in the deficit. It's not it. It's what God has done for you through Christ. God loves you. Period. Nothing you can do to have God love you more. Nothing you can do to have God love you less. It, um, it's just really, really hard for us to get that. So sometimes we work we, we slip into this working hard to earn what God just wants to freely give us so that we respond. All of our life is a response to this with gratitude and with joy, not slaving away. So that's the first reason. The second reason, it's so easy to slip into the character of the elder son because it's it's easy to confuse geographical closeness with spiritual intimacy, thinking that, you know, if we're in church long enough, we're, we're good with God. Kind of like thinking, you know, if you sit in a McDonald's long enough, you're going to become a hamburger. <laughs> it's not it. You can sit in a pew all your life and never really know God. And not... And not enjoy being home, enjoying this love of God that he has for you and this intimacy with God. Because we think, you know, doing this is what doesn't. No, it's not. It can. It's good. Please come every Sunday. 
But you see, the motivation in the Christian life is as important as what we do. We can sit here, we can smell, we can smell the barbecue, we can hear the music and the dancing. We can be that close. And yet never really enter into the joy, join the party that God has for us. He, this elder son, he did all the good things. So easy to think, oh, I'm doing all the right things. I must be close with God. I must be experiencing it. He did the chores. He stayed on the farm. He slaved away. He fulfilled his obligations. He wasn't like the younger son. Went away. But on the inside, his heart was far away. Do you get it? Augustine once wrote, this is a great quote. I should have put it on, in the bulletin. A darkened heart is the far country. For it is not by our feet, but by our affections that we either leave thee or return unto thee. Isn't that good? Wow, and you know what's hard is this lostness of the elder son. It, it's, it's really tricky. It's insidious. Because oftentimes we don't know we're lost. Like this guy would have never said, I'm lost. No, you know, the younger son, he's feeding the pigs, he's hungry, he's, you know, he's at the end of his rope, he's confused about his identity, he doesn't even know he's his father's son anymore. I mean, he is lost. So easy to see it. But the, the, the lostness of this elder son, you would never guess it. Active in church, consistent devotional life, he tithes, he says the right things, he knows the lingo, and yet his heart is far away. It's a tricky lostness. Last thing, one of the reasons it's difficult to identify with this lost, it, lostness is, is we just don't see it. But you know what a dead giveaway is? Do you know what I think is the primary way to tell whether you're an elder son? Do you have joy? Do you have joy in your Christian life? Do you experience joy in your relationship with God? Man, our refusal to join the party is our refusal to enter into joy. And you see, joy is one of the unmistakable characteristics of a life seized by the grace of God. C.S. Lewis, you know, he wrote his autobiography. It was surprised by joy when he became a Christian later in life. The thing that, that, that just startled him, surprised him, was joy. This sense of joy. And the presence of joy you know, it's one of the primary themes in this whole chapter, isn't it? Remember, Jesus says, you know what God is like? God is like a shepherd, a good shepherd who, who loses one sheep, and he goes and he searches, and he searches, and he finds it, and he throws it around his shoulders, and he comes home, and what does he do? He calls up his friends, and he says, hey, let's party. There's joy. What was lost is found. Come and celebrate with me. He says, God is what? God is like 
this woman who loses a coin, God is like a woman, who loses a coin in searches and searches and searches. This coin is very valuable. He finds it. What's, what's the, her reaction? It's joy. Come party with me. She has two phones. That's how important it is. <laughs> Come party with me. For I have found my coin. You know, it's so interesting. So many of the parables end with a party. Huge parties. Good parties. Parties that are just, just based in pure gratitude for what God has done. The best parties possible. And you know what's really tough for elder sons? It's admitting their lostness. The pride gets in the way and they can't admit that they've been lost. They don't, aren't really grateful for being found because they've never been lost. So we stand, and we refuse to enter into the joy. Boy, amazing parable, isn't it? Can I just say, the father, the mother, if that is helpful, is looking into your eyes this morning. You know what he says? He says, my child, my son, my daughter, Come to the party. Everything I have is yours. You are always with me. Remember this parable is about who God is. God's not a bookkeeper. God's not a cosmic cop who's trying to catch us doing something wrong. Keeping score. Writing us a ticket. No, God is like this great father who wants us to come to the party, the greatest party in the world. The party where all the partiers know that they are forgiven, where there's no judgment, no condemnation, no envy, no comparisons, no insiders, no outsiders. Just a bunch of people who were once lost and are now found. Just pure rejoicing that God loves them just for who they are. Have you missed out on the joy? Have you been home, but not really home? You're home alone? Did you notice that Jesus doesn't finish this parable? As far as we, we don't know what the younger, elder son decided to do. We don't know if he finally came in to join the party. We don't know if he's still standing out in that field all angry. I don't think Jesus didn't end the story because he couldn't think of an ending. (laughs) I think he leaves it like that because he wants us to write the ending. He's hoping that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law will see themselves and finish the story by coming to the party. And same with us. He's letting us finish the story. Come to the party. Amen. Let's pray together. You know, as we look at this elder son today, maybe maybe God is speaking to your heart. I do believe God does that in sermons, not because of me, but because of God. 
And maybe God has revealed to you that maybe you're a little bit like the elder son. Maybe geographically close, but your heart is far away. Maybe like this elder son, you've been lost in your own goodness. It's a lostness. You don't know the joy, the freedom, the goodness of being embraced by the Father. I think God wants you to experience that. More than anything else. So if you want that today, if you're not experiencing that, I, I invite you right now to talk to God. And to ask God to give you that joy. To help you experience the embrace of the Father. So go ahead. If that's your prayer today, go ahead and pray that. And God, I do pray that all of us will know the message of this parable that Jesus wants us to hear so badly. That we are loved. Full stop. Period. I pray that as a church, I pray our church will be a party where we celebrate your goodness, your love, that we're filled with the joy of knowing that we were lost and have been found. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.